Good morning, everyone. Great to see you. Welcome to Union Chapel. I want to say a special welcome to everyone joining us in the sanctuary this morning. I know that's a, a preference of yours to be there and maybe closer to the nurseries, that sort of thing. So welcome. Glad you are here. We are continuing this series we've been on now for a few weeks called Clean. We're trying to deal with the hurts and the habits and the hang-ups that all of us experience in life. We all have issues. We all have agenda. We all have stuff. We all have baggage. Every one of us, every last single one of us. And what we're discovering is that the steps to get clean, to get whole, to get well, are the same steps to take regardless of the particular issue that you might have. Today we want to look at the book of James from the New Testament. We're going to hear James give us some very, very important ideas, and particularly the next step that we take in this process of coming clean, and we'll find it here in this reference from James chapter 5. I'm going to read verses 13 to 16 for us. And so if you have your Bibles, please turn there. If not, we'll project the words on the screen for you so that you can uh, get the full benefit. So as you're able, would you please stand to hear God's word. James chapter 5, I'll begin reading at verse 13. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. And if they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. May God inspire us today through this important word. You may be seated. Thanks so much. Habits that mess up our lives, problems that cause us difficulties, memories that we can't seem to let go of, all of these hurts and habits and hang-ups uh, causing us to stumble in life. We've talked about some steps. The first week we talked about the reality step. That is simply coming to terms with the idea that, look, I'm not God. I don't have everything I need to manage every detail of my life. I'm, I'm not the, 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 uni, the universe's manager, and so I have to recognize that I need God and His strength in my life. Then we talked about the hope step which is coming to realization that God not only knows every detail of our lives, and just let that soak in, He knows everything about us, but He also still cares about us and then offers us His help. He knows us, He cares, He loves. We come to God by believing He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him with their heart. And so this wonderful promise of hope that God is willing to help us. Last week we talked about the commitment step, we learned that it's not just enough to merely know God loves us and cares about us and wants to help us, but we need to take a step. We need to make a decision, make a choice, move in His direction. We've, we said last week that the Christian life is a decision to give God our whole lives, to, to trust God for our lives, to make a decision, and then it's a process, a decision followed by a process that lasts our whole lives. Because nobody's arrived, no one's perfect, no one has it all together, everybody's along the way, in process. Now today I want to talk about the fourth step. And let me just remind you that regardless of what issue you may struggle with in your life, the steps to getting whole, getting clean, get on balance are the same. 
And so here's the fourth step. And I want to give it to you. It's on your outline. There's a couple of uh, fill-in-the-blanks there, so you might want to do that. Here's number four. Openly examine and confess my faults to God, to myself, and to someone I trust. Openly examine and confess my faults to God, to myself, and to someone I trust. Now, the reason this is important, an important step, is, is because virtually all of us tend to get stuck in guilt. Things happen, choices are made, decisions are executed, and, and, and life tends to pile up with baggage. And we feel bad about it. We feel guilty about it. We feel ashamed about it. We feel burdened by it. And so guilt tends to get us stuck. There are things that we feel guilty about that we're aware of or conscious of. And there are other things that have happened to us sometimes in the, in the distant past in our lives we don't even think about anymore. And yet the guilt from that experience still weighs us down. And so guilt tends to get us stuck. As a result of that, we tend to deny our guilt, repress the guilt, blame other people, excuse our guilt, rationalize our guilt. But in order to have a clear conscience and, so, and to live a wholesome life and a clean life, we've got to get free from the guilt. I was listening to the radio in the car not too long ago. It was one of those call-in deals where the expert was giving advice on relationships and other things. And the caller simply expressed to the expert, that she was filled with guilt. She had made some poor choices in her life and she was overwhelmed by guilt. And what could she do about that? And I heard this expert say, well, with regard to guilt, you simply have to learn how to manage your guilt. Learn how to live with your guilt. I just wanted to go, wait a minute, hold it. That's not actually what God's hope offers to us. In fact, in Psalm 32, verses 1 and 2, it says, what happiness for those whose guilt has been forgiven. Whose guilt has been forgiven. What relief for those who have confessed their sins and God has cleared their record. So in other words, if you invite God into that guilt, He can remove the problems that cause the guilt in your life and clean your slate. So you don't have to learn to manage your guilt or live with your guilt. You can actually ask God to clean your life so that you don't feel the burden and the weight of guilt. It's a wonderful promise. Now, let me just talk a few minutes about the reasons to take this step number four. And the first one is this. You'll want to write this down. Guilt destroys my confidence. Think about that. Guilt destroys my confidence. Because we, we imagine, what if somebody finds out? What if find, somebody finds out, really knows everything about me? What if they find out? what my issues are, what my secrets are, what those issues are in my life that, that, that I try to keep from everyone else. What if somebody finds out? It, it's a little bit disconcerting because we imagine if people really knew what we were like, they wouldn't like us. They'd reject us. They'd push us away. And that, that feels very threatening to us. And so the guilt destroys our confidence. Heard the story from... Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, some of you know that he was the author of the Sherlock Holmes novels. And Arthur Conan Doyle was also known as a prankster. And on one occasion in England, he sent an anonymous note to five prominent men and simply said this, all is found out, flee at once. 
And it said within 24 hours, all five men had left the country. Well, that's, you know, that's a rather an amusing thing, but a sobering thing at the same time. Guilt robs you of confidence. Let me tell you something else guilt does. Guilt damages my relationships. It damages my relationships. Guilt can make me impatient with other people. Have you ever been in a situation where maybe you've offended someone and, and you thought, well, gosh, I, that may have offended them. It's like a little firecracker offense. But the response you got from them was like a nuclear explosion. You ever been in that moment where you just, gee, why is that? Why get this explosive response to this kind of, kind of moment? It could be that guilt is resonant in that person and it manifests itself in this explosive anger. It can happen, and it does happen. There are some folks who sometimes allow guilt to cause them to spoil or indulge other people. I feel like I'm guilty in this relationship, so I buy them lots of things. We see this oftentimes in parents whose marriages probably have failed, perhaps have failed, and the family gets broken, and parents often feel guilty about all of that, and so they overcompensate with their children by indulging them in things. Guilt does that. It damages relationships. It makes them out of balance. Sometimes it can cause you to avoid commitment. Guilt can keep you from the levels of intimacy that God really designs for us in close friendships and in marriage relationships. In fact, a lot of marriage problems today are caused by things that happened to one or more of the spouses long before the marriage occurred. And yet guilt follows them into that relationship and hinders the intimacy. So guilt damages relationships. Let me give you a third idea. Guilt actually keeps me stuck in the past. Let me ask you a question. When you're driving a vehicle down the road, is it better to spend most of your time looking forward or most of your time staring in the rearview mirror? The answer is pretty simple, isn't it? You want to spend most of your time looking forward and only occasionally glance up in the rearview mirror to get perspective on what's behind you. But you know, there are people in the world who go down the road of life and they spend all of their time focused on the rearview mirror. And when you do that, the inevitable happens. You're going to run off the road. You're going to run into something. You're going to crash into someone because you're not looking forward. So guilt can actually get me stuck in the past. Well, let me remind you, guilt can't change the past. No matter how bad you feel, no how, how much guilt you bear, how much shame you endure, it cannot change what's happened. cannot change the past. Any more than being worried can change the future. All emotions of guilt and worry do is mess up your present. can't change the past or change the future. And so we need to be rid of it because guilt can get me stuck in the past. The position that we ought to take is I want to get on with my life. I want to move forward. I want to get well. I want to grow. I want to let go of my past. I want to be able to close that out. I want to be able to bury that in the past and get on with the hopeful future that God has designed for my life. That's the right attitude. Guilt, on the other hand, can keep you stuck in the past. So, those are reasons why we need to rid ourselves of guilt. So how do we take this step, this fourth step? Let me just offer a few thoughts. The first is this. Take a personal moral inventory. Might want to write that down. Moral inventory. Now what am I talking about? Simply sit down 
with pen and pad and ask yourself these questions. And you've got to be honest, you've got to be prayerful, and ask these questions. What is wrong with me? You may not know what the issues are in your life, and so that's why you need to pray to ask God for help. What is wrong with me? What have I felt guilty about in my life? What have I regretted? What am I remorseful about? What are the faults in my life that I know need changing? And again, sometimes you're conscious of these issues and sometimes you're not conscious of them at all. That's why Lamentations 3, verse 40 says, let us examine our ways and test them. Why it's important to ask God for help with this process. Uh, Psalm 139 is a verse from David's life, King David's life, that I have used in this process because you've got to work up your courage to do this. This isn't for sissies. This isn't for the faint of heart. I mean, you don't want to sit down and, and just, uh, you know, ask yourself, what's wrong with me and write it down unless you're really serious about getting to the issues and coming clean. Psalm 139 says it this way, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test my thoughts. Point out anything you find in me that makes you sad. Well, that's, that's bold kind of praying. Let me just uh, say from my own experience, when you pray this prayer, Search me, O God, know my heart, you know, you've got to work up your courage. Search me, O God, know my heart. Show me if there's any wickedness in me and lead me in the everlasting way. God, reveal to me what's, what my issues are. God will answer that prayer. He'll help you right along with that. And it's not because he's against you or he's angry with you or, or he's all disappointed. It's because he wants to help you. So now if you'll deal with this, man, that will really be helpful to you. And so God will join, join in. So when you take this moral inventory, you want to take your time, you want to be prayerful, and you want to write it down. Now, why in writing? Well, it just uh, stands to reason that when you are able to articulate a thought, a, an issue, it, it disentangles it. And further, when you can write it down. This is why term papers have been the age-old assignment from the professor, because if the professor knows you can articulate it on paper, it indicates that you actually have conceptualized and come to terms with some of the concepts. And so it clarifies and it disentangles your thoughts. And so that's why you want to think about it, talk about it, and then write it down because it will help you in that process. So be specific, face reality, stop denying the problems, and take a moral inventory. Here's a second idea in this step, and that is accept responsibility for my faults. Accept responsibility for my faults. Proverbs 20, verse 27 says, The Lord gave us a mind and a conscience we cannot hide from ourselves. We cannot hide from ourselves. The greatest holdup in the healing for our hang-ups is us. <laughs> the greatest holdup in the healing of my life is me. The greatest holdup in the healing of your life is you. You okay with that? Now... Now, here's the default that many people go to, and, I, and we're all guilty of this. I know I'm guilty of this from time to time. And the default is, must be somebody else's problem. Must be someone else's fault. My issues are the result of... And so folks, folks deceive themselves, and they say, well, you know, my life would be whole if I could just get in a different relationship. This relationship I'm in, it's not working, it's dragging me down, it's hurting me, I don't like the way I am in this relationship, and so I just 
if I'll leave this relationship and get in the next relationship, then I will be a better person. Or folks, the reason they say, no, what I need is a different job because the job I have right now, it's taking me nowhere. It's a bad culture. It's a bad influence. I find myself in all kinds of bad attitudes and bad reactions in this context. And so if I could just get a different job, then I would be whole. I'd be happy. Some folks think, I just need to relocate. I just need to get out of town. I mean, I've been here too long. I need to leave this place and get myself in a new place. And if I get in a new place, then I'll be all together. Here's the only problem with that rationale. That if you change your relationship, or you change your job, or you change your location, <laughs> you're still there. <laughs> it may be a new relationship, but it's still the old you. Maybe a new job, but it's still the old you. Maybe a new location, but it's the same, same old you. And so until you change you, you're not going to be able to change your life. And so you can't rationalize this and, and say, well, it, you know, it happened a long time ago. It's just a stage or everybody does it. And so it can't be that bad. Don't, don't minimize it. Don't say, well, it's not a big deal. You know, I... I can control this. I can, I can take care of this. Don't blame others. You know, it's mostly their fault. I mean, really, pastor, seriously, this may not be true, but I understand your point, but this is not true for me because it really is their fault. Well, maybe it is 95% their fault. Maybe it is. But whatever 5% is yours, own it. Own responsibility for your own fault and your own failure and your own mistakes and your own sin. This is not easy for American people. We, we like to deflect, we like to defer, we like to project on others, we like to blame, we like it. You've heard me describe what blame means. It means be lame. Blame. Just means you're weak. Accept responsibility for your own faults. Here's a third important ingredient in taking this fourth step, and that is ask God for forgiveness. Ask God for forgiveness. Now, in 1 John uh, one nine, it says, if we freely admit that we have sinned, we find God utterly reliable. Isn't that good? He's faithful. He forgives our sin and makes us thoroughly clean from all that is evil. Now, this is, really, this is a really great verse. The verse ahead of it says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in it. We live in a world of illusion. We're only fooling ourselves. And so that harkens back to take responsibility. But the very next verse says, if we are faithful... To confess and admit our faults, God is a reliable God, and He will forgive us and cleanse us from everything that is evil. Now, let me tell you how not to get forgiveness from God. For example, don't beg. There's no reason to beg God for forgiveness. God stands ready to forgive you, willing to forgive you, wants to forgive you, more than you're even willing to ask Him for forgiveness. So you don't have to beg. No, no begging necessary. If you say, God, help me, God, forgive me, God will forgive you. That's the promise. Also, don't bargain. You don't have to say, uh, if you'll just forgive me, Lord, I promise I'll never say that again. I'll never do it again. Lord, if you'll forgive me this time, I'll never react like that again. I promise. Listen, you don't have to bargain with God. It's not necessary in forgiveness. And also, you don't have to bribe. God, if, you, if you'll forgive me this time, I'll be good. I'll be a good girl. I'll be a good boy. I promise, God, if you'll forgive me this time, I will be good. I'll even, I'll even start going to church. I'm serious. I'll start going to church. If you'll forgive me this time, God, 
I'll start going to church. I'll actually start to tithe. I'm serious about it this time, God. <laughs> Listen, you don't have to bribe God. Here's how you receive forgiveness. You just believe. You just believe. The Bible says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful. He is just. And He will forgive and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's interesting that word, confess, if we confess our sins. The Greek word there is a compound word, and it's, and it's a word that's pronounced homo logos. Now, homo actually means same. We get that. And logos means word. So the literal translation of confess or admit in that verse is same word. Now, what does that mean? That, that simply means that when God reminds us of a failure or fault or a sin, that we agree with God's assessment of that part of our life. If we confess or we admit our sin, we agree with God about our sin. If same word, we are in agreement with God. God says, that's wrong. That's, that's damaging your life. You need to rid yourself of that issue in your life. We say, I confess. I admit that's an issue. I agree with you, God. That's an issue. And if we confess in agreement with God's assessment of that part of our life, then God is faithful to forgive and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Our boys, uh, we have two grown sons now, Aaron and Isaac, and they have developed over the last few years this, this conversation pattern, and I'm not sure where it originated or where it came from. I like to think it's because they grew up in a, a home that had a biblical worldview, but I, I don't know. But what they've done is that if one of them responds and acknowledges something that's notable to them, and the other one agrees with them, rather than saying, I agree, that's, that's, I, I couldn't be more, more uh, in line with what you're thinking, they don't, they don't elaborate that way. They just use a single word. It's the word, word. <laughs> so one of them will say, that is a really cool car. And the other one will go, word. <laughs> or one of them will say, that is a beautiful woman right there. And the other one will go, word. Or one will say, you know, that's just the blessing of God. And the other one will say, word. They're well-rounded. <laughs> Sometimes I'll chime in, you know. That is a cool, I say, word. <laughs> I never hear Beth doing it. I don't know, maybe it's just a male thing. You know, it's like, get to the point with the fewest words possible, word. That's what this means, though. If you confess, word. If you admit your sin, word. God is faithful and just to forgive. <laughs> and to cleanse from all unrighteousness. Word. Isn't that, isn't that great? So it's just, it's just about agreement. A woman said to her pastor after suffering for some time, she made an appointment, sat down with her pastor and said, I am so depressed. I've been depressed now for weeks is so much so I'm so discouraged that it's hard for me to get out of the bed in the morning. I don't know what's going to become of me. And he very insightfully asked her a very probing question. And he said, is there anything in your life that you deeply regret? And she put her head down and she said, there is one thing. She said, I've never told this to anyone before, but my husband travels in his business and he's away from town all the time and 
on one of his business trips, I had an adulterous affair, and she said, and I got pregnant. And not only was I pregnant, but I had an abortion. And my husband never knew about any of it. And she said, I regret it very much. And the pastor said, well, I can encourage you today because you can find forgiveness by simply asking God to forgive you. And his forgiving grace reflected in the life of Jesus Christ is available to you. And she said, but that doesn't seem fair. She said, my sin is so grievous, so dark. She said, someone should have to pay for what I've done. And the pastor smiled again and said, someone has already paid for what you've done. His name is Jesus Christ. And once and for all, when he died on the cross of Calvary, he satisfied the penalty of your sin and the sins of the whole world. And there's nothing that you have done in your life that is so bad that the wonderful love and grace and forgiveness of God isn't sufficient to cover. The price has been paid for your sin, and you can receive that forgiveness by simply asking in faith. Isn't that a great promise? Isn't that a wonderful truth? That no matter what you've done, no matter what level of guilt or shame, condemnation that you have experienced in your life, God's grace is sufficient for you. Listen, that's liberating. That'll get you whole. That'll make you clean. That's the power of God that we can't summons on our own, but God has available to us. That's encouraging, I know. Now here's the fourth thing that I want to recommend in taking this step, and that is admit my faults to another person. Admit my faults to another person. James 5.16 from our passage, our text today, says admit your faults one to another and pray for each other so that you might be healed. Confess your faults one to another, pray for one another so that you might be healed. You say, now, why do I have to tell someone else about my issues? And the reason is because the root of our problem really is relational. Think about it this way. We tend to lie to each other. We deceive each other. We're dishonest toward one another. We wear masks. We pretend that we have it all together when we really don't. We deny our true feelings. We play these games. And it tends to isolate us from each other and prevents the levels of intimacy in our relationships that God des desires. And so we end up living in the shame and it leaves us insecure. And so life goes on like this. Let me just remind you of something. As a person, we are only so troubled, so burdened by guilt and shame, we are only so dysfunctioning in our relationship with God and, and others to the degree that we hide these issues from ourselves, from God, and from other people. To say it more succinctly, a person is only so sick as the secrets they keep. Now, if you believe that to be true, then this step, you will agree, is an important step. That I need to confess my faults, my mistakes to God and to someone I trust. This is the mandate of God. Now, here are some questions to answer in that process. If you, you're thinking about doing it, you ask them the question, who do I tell? Well, you don't just tell anybody. I don't just tell everybody. You know, you're not leaving church today and you find the first person, you know, that you see and go, you know, I got to tell you about my issues. You know, the pastor said I need to confess my faults. I've got a couple that really burden me down. I like to unburden myself. 
Well, that person may not be a person you can trust. You may even know someone. You know, my best friend, you know, we've been friends since high school, and she and I are just buddies like this, and we've, we've hung out for 20 years together. And, 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 but now that you mention it, not in 20 years have I ever seen her with the capacity to keep a secret. Well, don't tell her, but she's my best friend. Don't tell her, because she can't keep a confidence. So don't tell someone you can't trust. You have to find someone you can trust. Somebody who understands the value of what you're doing. Because confessing some of the issues in your life to another trusted person, this has huge value in your life. This, is a, this, is a, this has high currency. You can't even put a price tag on the value that it brings to you. So you have to find someone who appreciates the seriousness and the weight and the, the value of that kind of confession. And then somebody who's mature enough that they're not going to be shocked. You know, there, let me just say, friends, there are Christian men and women walking around in the world who are actually mature. These are grown-ups. These are folks that you can trust with this kind of information. And they will handle it well, and they will, they will value it. In fact, a really mature Christian person will, will put it this way. They will be honored if you are willing to share with them the issues of your life. Because they get it. They've got issues too. They understand how important it is. They understand how mature it is, how godly it is, how character-filled it is to do something like that. You can imagine in my, in my profession now, 35 years in pastoral ministry, there isn't anything I haven't heard. I mean, I, I've heard everything. Nothing shocks me anymore because I've heard it. But I can tell you this, any time in my life when I hear someone preface what they're about to say with these, with these words, when they say, I've never told anyone this, but I actually, in, internally, I get excited about that. It's not that, oh, oh boy, here comes another one. No, it's not that at all. What I feel is very encouraged and hopeful because I know that what this person is about to tell me that they can trust me with is something that's going to liberate their lives. It's really going to help them. They're going to get better. I've never seen anyone who didn't get better, appreciably better, much better, after unburdening themselves by talking about these issues. So who do you tell? You tell someone who's mature, someone who gets it, someone you can trust. That's who you tell. Now, then what do you say? Listen, just take your list with you. You've been writing it down. You've been asking God for help. These are the issues of my life. This is what, this is, these are my faults. This is, this is what burdens me. This is what I regret. And you just take your list. And I've had people do this. Come into my office, sit down, and unfold the list. Go through the list. And that's what you say. Here are some of the things I know are wrong in my life. This is what I've done. This is what I've felt. Here are the habits, here are the hurts, here are the hang-ups. These are my issues. And I want, I want to tell somebody. And then the question, when do you do it? And the answer is, as soon as possible. ASAP. As soon as you know that God is asking you to take this step, you need to do it as quickly as possible. If you wait, if you hesitate, if you procrastinate, it will become more difficult to do. It takes a lot of courage to do this. 
And so if you wait, it'll be harder. And if you put it off, when you know now's the time, all you're doing is setting yourself up for more pain. There'll just be more pain, more guilt, more shame, more burden, all, all of the above. So sooner is better than later when you do it right now. And here's the last thought that is helpful advice, I hope, in taking this fourth step. And that is accept God's forgiveness and forgive myself. Accept God's forgiveness and forgive myself. Romans 3.23, let me just remind you, all have sinned. All of us have sinned. Now, let me, just, let me just say out loud what some of you are feeling. Some of you in the room right now are feeling very lonely. And let me tell you why I know that's true. I've got, I, I get feedback anytime I address a subject like this from folks, and I know what happens. You actually, you actually are feeling lonely right now because you believe that I have, I have prepared this message specifically with you in mind. You're wondering why I didn't put your name on the title of the message. Just produce it, put it in the bulletin, put it on the web, you know, send it all over the country, send it out to the press. Here's Bubba. He's got issues. <laughs> and the reason you're feeling that way is because this message, as I mentioned, all these steps are applicable to whatever issue is true in your life. And listen, all God's children have issues. Everybody has issues. You got issues. I got issues. You got baggage. I got baggage. You have a past. I have a past. All God's children have issues. All of us need to take step number one. I admit I don't have control of my life. I'm powerless to deal with certain issues in my life. I need God's help. Number two, all of us need to take the step to recognize that if, I'll, that if I will trust God, He actually knows me, cares for me, and will help me. All of us need to take the third step, which is make a commitment. It's, it's not enough to know God loves me and wants to help me. I've got to decide to accept His love for me. So I make a decision, make a commitment, and then I start the process. I don't have all the answers. In fact, I got more questions than answers. I got more conflict than I have peace. I've got more confusion than I do understanding. But I make a decision because it's the right thing to do. To ask for God's help, I make a choice, I make a decision, and then I start the process. Make a decision, then I start solving the problems. That's the Christian life. All of us need to take that step. And here we are at the fourth step, and all God's children need to take this step. I need to confess my faults to God and to someone I trust. Because it helps clean out all the waste that accumulates from our issues of guilt and shame. Mm -hmm. so all of us have sinned we're all in the same boat we're all just a bunch of sinners you heard the old adage you know i've talked to people maybe you've talked to people come to church you know church is great we our church is wonderful you know it's just so so life-giving and hope-filled and and god is present it's just so important to my life and it just keeps me going through the week and and it just i just love everything about the church come and come to my church with me and a person will say to you I, I couldn't go to church. Don't you understand who I am, what I do, how I live my life? I couldn't go to church. If I walked in that church, you know, the doors would cave in. You've heard people say that? Listen, <laughs> maybe you're a person who thinks that, and you're, you, know, you keep glancing over your shoulder all, all day. Listen, don't flatter yourself. You're sitting in a room with some of the biggest sinners in all of Delaware County right now. 
you're not such a big bad sinner. We're all sinners. You got nothing on anybody. There's nobody more righteous than the next person. Stop it. You think you're a special, specialized sinner? Give me a break. <laughs> you got nothing on us. We're all in need. We all need help. We all need grace. We all fall short of God. All have sinned and come short of God's design for our lives. Look, so we come to terms with that. And then we ask God's forgiveness. And we seek to forgive ourselves. Let me tell you something about God's forgiveness. It comes instantly. You don't have to wait. If you, if you ask for God's forgiveness, He will offer it to you right now. No strings attached. No conditions. This, this isn't like human forgiveness, which sometimes comes with a condition. You know, okay, I'm going to forgive you for the first part of that offense, but I'm going to wait and see how you behave for the next few weeks before I, you know, really let you all the way off. But instead, God forgives instantly. He forgives freely. He freely takes away our sins. We admit it. We don't deserve it. We haven't earned God's forgiveness. I mean, really, we've, just the opposite is true, isn't it? We don't... We don't actually get what we deserve. We get what we need from God. And it's a wonderful arrangement. Because if we all got what we deserved and what we earned, well, shoot. Then we're all just done. But instead, God gives us what we need. So He forgives us freely. And by the way, He forgives us completely. Not just a little bit. Not halfway. But completely free. That's why I love Romans 8.1. We'll finish with this verse. There is therefore now no condemnation, no shame, no guilt, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. There is therefore now how much condemnation? How much shame? How much guilt to those who are in Christ? Isn't that a wonderful promise? Could I encourage you to take this step? Take an inventory. Seek the forgiveness of God. Tell someone you trust and take this step to prepare your heart for the healing work of His grace. Amen. Let's, let's pray for just a moment. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, thank you for your word today which lamps our feet and lights our way. You're so good. You're so good. And Lord, thank you for reminding us today we're all in the same boat. We're just a bunch of sinners. We're not trying to kid anybody. Nobody's perfect. We've all blown it. We've all made mistakes. We've all got different problems, just different areas. We're reminded today that all of us have sinned, yet, God, you declare us not guilty if we trust in Jesus Christ who freely takes away our sins. So, God, we thank you today that your forgiveness is instant and it's free and it's complete. And that as we seek it, there is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Lord, we are so comforted by that. Help us to believe. Help us to receive it today, we ask. In Jesus' name. And everyone say,